You're listening to the Breakaway Breakdown podcast, where we bring you interviews with some of the top ropers in the country, news about what's going on in the fastest sport on dirt, training tips for you and your horses, and so much more. I'm your host, Casey Allen. Let's jump in. Hey, you guys. Today's guest is three-time NFBR qualifier, Shelby Beaujolais. Now, Shelby is just coming off of her over $10,000 win at the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo, and most people recognize that she's a dominating breakaway roper inside the arena. But what they might not know about Shelby is that she and her fiance, 2019 world champion tie-down roper Haven Medjid, have quite the training operation going on at their place in Stephenville. Shelby actually hails from Canada, and she talks about how she'd been flipping horses and training on horses since she was in high school and that her horsemanship has been a big focus her entire career. So now she and Medjid are going full bore into the tie-down and breakaway futurity world, which is still something that's kind of new to breakaway ropers. We're watching the barrel racers do it, watching the team ropers do it, but it's kind of a new concept over here. So we sat down to talk about some of her training philosophies including why Anna, her 2021 AQHA WPRA Horse of the Year, doesn't compete in a tie-down all the time, and she didn't at San Antonio. So we talked about that, and then balancing her fraturity schedule with rodeo, and kind of where Shelby plans on her career going from here, and what her focuses are. Now, as we all know, catching somebody who hustles like Shelby can be challenging. So yes, you may hear a few audio blips, uh, due to her phone service during the interview because she was actually on her way down to rope at Rodeo Houston when we spoke. So I think you guys are going to love this interview. It covers both some mental toughness aspects, a little bit of Shelby's story, and some hardcore technical information and training theories that you can go and apply today. And at the commercial break, I am going to tell you guys more about Equinity, who is the amazing company that is our sponsor and the reason this episode is coming to you today. Now, without further ado, let's jump in. So let's let's talk about San Antone first. Congratulations on the win there. Who are you using? Anna. Anna, okay, cool. So walk me through each run and I mean, you were like, made one second runs look easy down there <laughs> honestly I didn't really think that I was going to be that fast on my runs I was I never really took any crazy throws I just kind of ran into the middle of the camps and took my throw at them so I was kind of shocked when the, when the board kept saying one second on there I got you so when you're that dialed in is everything just kind of slowed down for you or like mentally I guess what does a one-second run feel like? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly kind of just blank a little bit. Um, I try and hit the barrier, and then after that, I honestly feel like it's kind of out of my control. I just kind of let muscle memory take over. Is it is it all just muscle memory at that point? When are you thinking about your riding, and when are you thinking about your roping in those situations? I don't really know. Honestly, the best thing for me is to try not to think when I'm trying to win and be aggressive and win money um for the younger horses i all i'm always thinking about riding first and i was pretty nervous going to san antonio and not really getting to practice for me because we were pretty much fresh out off of that uh the rope and fraturities of america and obviously the fraturity's been our main goal and we've been focusing on all of our young horses and i haven't been roping for myself and riding my good horses and stuff so um, I 
puzzled, I was going to San Antonio and hoping that I could still have my competitive edge and everything. And um, My first round was pretty sloppy. I blew my stirrup leaving the box, and I was honestly just trying to stay on on the whole time. But it felt better as I kept making runs out there. So you and Anna have been through a lot, especially in the last few years. Kind of talk through the when you first started riding her versus now and kind of how you two have grown together. Yeah, so I got Anna when she was four years old, and she was a kind of a, I don't know, an ex-rainer. She, I think she wanted to go a little too fast all the time for the raining, so I ended up with her, and I started her by myself and did everything with her and trained her in the breakaway roping, so pretty much everything that she does is, you know, what I've asked her to do, so she's my horse completely, and... uh we just jive. She knows everything I'm going to do, and I know everything she's going to do. I can tell by warming her up that day, um, you know, how I should score, if I should make her give a little bit more on a box or leave her up on a loose terrain. And I think that it's it's a huge, huge advantage for me just knowing her and her knowing me. I gotcha. And so correct me if I'm wrong here. Is Anna, Anna's kind of the horse that launched you to the level you're at now, correct? You know, actually, Root Beer launched me to the level I'm at now. I won Green Bay, Wisconsin on Root Beer and rode her all through college and everything. And uh, Root Beer made me completely who I am. Root Beer, she taught me so much. And she's just, she's been a winner. And then Anna came along kind of after that. And Anna's helped my career in a lot of ways, too. But Root Beer definitely got me going and made me who I am. Awesome. And then, yeah, I saw your sister shared, I think a couple weeks ago, like, oh, how times have changed. And it was an old message of you, like, asking her if she could send you money so you could feed your horses. So would you mind sharing the story behind that message? And yeah. so, My dad didn't really want us to go to college. He wanted us to stay home and work um, all through high school and stuff. We worked for him and drove for his trucking company. And... Uh, it was good money and everything. So he wanted us to kind of go straight to work and start making a living. And there wasn't a future, like breakaway roping was not going the way it's going now. So, you know, he kind of didn't see the point in us going to college to rodeo and stuff. We weren't really taking anything important except for my older sister. She took accounting and she uses it now, but, um, my dad just, he really wanted us to work. And so when he sent us to school, he's like, okay, well you guys can go to college. I'll send you with the truck. And you guys can figure out a trailer, and you guys are paying your way completely. He's like, if you guys have to call home for money, then you're coming home. <laughs> and so pretty much ever since we I left for school, I've been trying to pay for my own stuff and make it. And there's been times where I literally couldn't even afford milk from the gas station. So uh, I don't know. I, I think it's taught me a lot, though. Yeah, it definitely makes it that much more sweeter. Yeah. Um, so... What kind of got you guys into the futurity game, and what does your operation with Haven look like there? So for the futurity deal, um, I've always kind of wanted it to be known for my horsemanship. Um, roping's important to me too, obviously, and I love competing, but um, I'm way more passionate about the horsemanship side of things, and I honestly, rodeoing's not my favorite thing in the world. I have to make myself leave the house because I love staying home and spending time with the horses and riding and training. And so when there started to be futurities coming out, the first thing that kind of came out was um, the pink buckle. And so buying eligible horses for that was kind of where we got started. And 
you know, Haven and I kind of talked about it and I told him that it was really important to me to get in the fraternity world and kind of get a foot in the door for that with it from the start and really push it and support it because I think that it's really, really good for the horse industry and everything else. And that's kind of more so my passion. So ever since then, we've made sure to try and be a part of every fraternity roping wise that they've had and, um, be there, support it, try and show good horses. And, um, my horsemanship's pretty much everything to me. You know, um, it's more important to me how, how my horse worked during my run and everything else than, you know, uh, all the other things going on. I'm happy if my horse worked great and I miss the calf. There's nothing really to complain about for me, but, uh, horsemanship's just kind of always been my thing. And I love showing up and have my horses look good and, um, all the things, I guess. I got you. So yeah, those, the scored fraternities, especially, can you kind of talk through what things judges are looking for and what your job is as a rider in those setups and not just focusing on the time? Yeah. So I like those where they kind of judge the horses. Um, they'll judge you on how you ride into the box and how your horse is in the corner and how your horse scores. And then they'll judge you how the horse runs to the calf, rates the calf. And then, um, they'll judge you on the stop and how your horse looks in the stop. If they stay square, if they quarter stuff like that. Does that have any play into kind of the sliding versus punch stop? And I mean, I'm, I feel like you, you guys definitely train the slide in more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't like riding the punch stop. There's a lot of girls that it's rank. I just, it's just not for me. <laughs> uh, I feel like it, it pops the rope way faster though. But um I think that the sliding versus the punch stop, um, I think it gets scored the same as long as the horse does get in the ground. I gotcha. And then is breakaway like team roping where they like deduct your time from one of the scored sections to see how many points you get out of that section? Yeah. So the time does matter a little bit. It's not completely judged. So I think that's good too. So that, you know, you kind of still have to do your part a little bit. So how many horses do you guys have going like of your own and of outside horses to the fraternities? Cause I felt like you had a trailer full at RFA. Yeah, we, uh, we took the eight horse trailer to the RFA and I don't know how many horses we ended up showing total there cause we had to make two trips, but, um, we have a lot right now and, uh, hopefully we can keep a lot and keep showing them. I think Haven and I are both on the same page. We love it equally, and I think that he loves it more than rodeoing as well. So really pushing and really hoping that there's a huge future for for us in that and for all the young horses to go. Awesome. So as a roper and as a rider, switching between those fraturity, like I know RFA was timed, but the scored fraturities and the rodeo setups and all the different things happening – what are some things you do mentally to separate those competitions besides sometimes being on the more experienced horses? <laughs> so pretty much. So I started flipping horses in college and stuff before I left for college. Um, that's when I got root beer. Anyways, long story short, I've always kind of been training horses. Like from the time I started roping, I've been training horses. My dad always wanted us to make our own horses. They weren't really set on buying horses for us so that was something that we always had to do so I feel like I was fortunate for that because I got to do that from the start so my horsemanship came with my roping and my dad was huge on every time you step foot on a horse you're roping for them you're not practicing for yourself so horsemanship came first no matter what and roping came second always so I kind of just grew up doing that 
And a lot of people gave me crap about it, especially when I came to college and tried to be competitive. You know, I, a lot of people were telling me that you can't be training and trying to rope competitively. You have to do one or the other. You can't do both. And I feel like I've had a really stubborn mentality. Um, I've definitely just tried to do both. And I honestly, I don't know what sets it, sets it apart. I think I'm just a super competitive person. So once there's money up and stuff, I don't think that there's anything you can tell me that I'm not going to try and do. I like that. That's awesome. Um, what are some things you can do kind of when you're working with these younger horses to get them really prepared for like the timed maturities where you have to still be fast? And I know like RFA wasn't the easiest setup for some horses, but what are some things in your foundation that you guys kind of instill to set them up for success when the speed hits? So we kind of, we kind of went back and forth on what we should do for that. And we both kind of came to an agreement that, um, we should definitely stay slow and don't be trying to practice run running really fast calves. We knew when we got to the maturity, the horses were going to have to step out of their comfort zone and run some really fast calves. But for me on younger horses, I think faster calves kind of take the confidence out of them. Sometimes they might not get there, and then when they finally do, it's just really hard for them to get stopped at that speed. It's hard for a finished horse to get stopped going that fast. I mean, I ran one of the fastest calves of my life at that maturity. But um, for us, we just we stuck to the program, and we kept running slower calves and just gave those horses so much more confidence. And uh, if anything, we would score the slower ones out there a little bit and let those horses go find them out there in the arena and ask them to go to them a little bit. But we weren't really running hauling, hauling butt calves because I felt like it was more important for us to show up there and have our horses super confident. And then if we had to ask them for a little more speed once we got there, that was okay because they were still confident to go get the calf. Even though they might be going a little faster than they usually do, they were, they were extremely sure about what they were doing and what their job was. Gotcha. That confidence definitely paid off. You guys had, I mean, a great showing down there. I know where there were some disappointing pieces, but overall I felt like your horses consistently across the board just looked awesome for being four-year-olds in January. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough. I, I, I really wish that we could show them at the end of their four-year-old year versus right at the beginning, but ever, all the horses handled it really well, and there was a lot of really nice horses overall at the fraternity, so the, the future for them looks really good. And I got to ask, too, because I saw Haven was using Lil Punch there. Is he one that's gone kind of start to finish through your guys' program? Yeah, I got Lil Punch when he was three and kind of right before Haven and I started dating. And then when Haven and I started dating, he was one of my favorite. He was one of Haven's favorite horses, too. And so then he kind of just became our baby. We both just loved him so much. And we've pretty much just babied him. He should probably be a little further along than he is, but... Um, he's a super, super special horse, and he's probably one of the most talented horses either one of us have e- ever stepped on. So we're always just being really slow with him and making sure he's okay with everything we do and um, kind of just babying him along. And how is Lil Punch bred? He's a Kit Kat sugar out of a dual right mare. So when it comes to like starting the younger breakaway horses, what are the timelines that you guys are looking at from when you first pick up a rope on one to being able to enter a maturity and kind of how long is that? 
process usually, or does it depend on the horse? It kind of depends on the horse. And it's funny you ask that because Haven and I will literally, we'll get a horse and we'll rope break it and rope the sled. And it's usually like the first or second day, one of us will say something to the other, like, oh, this horse is going to be made in a month or this horse is going to take a long time. Like, you know, right away, what kind of horse they, what kind of horse they are, how quick they learn, you know, how willing they are. Some of them, you pick up a rope and they don't really care and you start tracking the sled and they don't care. And then you can track a calf all on the same day and they'll put their head down, track the calf. And you're like, dang, this horse is going to train so fast. And then you might get one that's scared of the rope after two weeks still. (laughs) Do you have any of those ones that were like scared of the rope that ended up like that are still in your guys' mainstream? Absolutely. Anna was the hardest horse I've ever rope broke and you still cannot get the rope near her back feet. So that's another thing I wanted to ask about Anna. We're so fascinated by the fact that you don't use a tie down on her. So I guess talk to me about how tie downs work in your program, what your definition of when you should use one and when one isn't is. I don't know. I guess I'm just a huge person. Um, I'm really, really big on pressure and release and I'm constantly doing it. I think that's how you train horses. And I think that's how you make them really good is with pressure and release. And I, I use it with all aspects of my training. I don't just use it in the box or, you know, just side passing them. I use it with everything. So the tie down for me is kind of pressure and release. So um, I don't ever want my horses balancing on the tie down. I don't practice with tie downs. We don't, we don't use tie downs on anything in the practice pen unless we're making a tie down run. Obviously you need a tie down, but um, if I do put a tie down on a horse, I always set it long enough so that if they throw their head, they hit it. But when they're running and doing other things, they're not touching it because I don't want them balancing on it or pushing on it, bracing on it. I only want it there to hit them if they do like do something they shouldn't be doing. And then they hit it. And then whenever they go back to doing something right, they have their release. So the pressure's there when they do a movement they shouldn't be doing, throw their head or whatever they hit it. And then the second they go back to normal where I, wherever I have the tie down set, where it's loose enough they don't hit it um that's obviously where i want them so when they go back to normal it doesn't hit them anymore so then they learn that they can do whatever they want and stuff it's comfortable for them they don't have to push on the tie down or be trapped by the tie down but if they do throw their head it's going to hit them and then as soon as they put their head back down it's they're good to go again it's the release for them so i guess i'm not a huge fan of just there's a lot of people say that horses need tie downs um you know to brace on or to balance on or to leave the box or you know roping or any other events i'm just i'm just speaking for what i do and i think that i think it's a lot better if you can just get them broke enough and soft enough where they're just doing their own deal and using their body and they don't have to balance on anything or be bracing on the tie down or pushing into whatever so is anna just kind of at that point where she's comfortable with that and you don't need that kind of backup plan yeah and I wrote a tie down at the NFR just because, I mean, it was super important at the NFR. I was there to win go round. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to have her throw her head or something. I mean, she never does, but just in case, if she got away from me a little bit and threw her head, it might make me like a 10th slower or something. So right there when things were happening fast and I had to run 10 calves fast and I couldn't go back to the practice pen, I put a tie down on her there just in case she threw her head. But I, I uh, I I said to Taylor Hanshi one day when she asked me about it, I said, if you see me without a tie down, it means I've been practicing. And if you see me with a tie down, it's because I haven't been practicing. So if I can go to the practice pen and, you know, just 
work on a lot of things and slow her down and keep her soft in the bridle right there and stuff, I, I hardly ever show up with a tie down on. But if I haven't got time to do that, then I'll just put a tie down on her just to be safe. Cause I don't want to be the girl there that has my horse throw her head or something and, you know, make me a little bit slower. So at what point with the younger ones, would you, besides making tie down runs, um, what when would you introduce a tie down to them just if there's a problem or just to have the backup yeah pretty much i pretty much just put a tie down on them almost all the horses will get a tie down run um at one point or another throughout their training program i guess um all the horses that we buy are we always buy them with a good size and everything with intentions to break away on them and then tie down on them after some of them never really do get a tie down and if they do it always just goes on long i i don't think that there's been a time where I've sucked a tie down down tight on a horse to where, you know, you have to introduce them to it. I'll always just put it so it hits them when they throw their head. So it's never really dangerous or I have to do anything with it. So even when we tie down on them, like the tie down will be long. It's pretty much just there for the keeper. It's what really all we need it for is the keeper. So I don't think there's, hopefully there's none in the future, but there's a, uh, there's a lot of different things I like to do for, instead of put a tie down on if I want to try and get a horse's head down. Would you mind sharing any of those or <laughs> are they, are they trade yeah. secrets? No, I'll use, I'll use draw reins and stuff and mainly just, I'm just really soft with them. I do a lot of dummy work and a lot, a lot of slow stuff. None of the horses ever do fast stuff. Um, I can't even remember the last time I've run a full contact calf on any of my good horses in the practice pen. We're always just kind of walk starting, running slow calves, using the jumping lane, and just keeping our horses super, super soft. And everything's in control. We're keeping them in control into their stop. Nothing crazy happening. So there's there's not a lot of times where the horses do throw their heads or get away because we try and do everything in control at all times. Awesome. And then another thing I noticed at RFA is that your guys' horses were some of the ones that had no issues with the rope barrier, it seemed like, from at least the runs I saw. So kind of talk about when you're training a horse to a rope barrier, and do you guys have a barrier set up, or what does that look like in your program? Yeah, so um, I just ordered one of the barriers with the flag on it. Usually a lot of times um, the horses have no problem going through the actual barrier. We used to use surveyor ribbon. And then, you know, we'd get to the jackpot and they would jump it. And um, it's kind of just from experience, I guess. So I figure they're scared of the flag. And I think that's what it is when horses jump it, when they're fine at the house and go somewhere. So we made sure that we got a barrier system with a flag on it. And we put the horses through the barrier. Um, I think the last two weeks before the fraternity, we didn't make a run. Whether it was scoring, walk starting, we made them go through it every single time for two weeks leading up to that. Haven's exact words where we spent way too much money on fees to have our horse jump the barrier there. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Equinity. Equinity Horse XL is a 100% pure amino acid supplement that can help your horse perform better from the cellular level. There is no fillers added, no sugars, no starches, no soy, nothing except 100% pure amino acids. What this does for your horse is it can help them from the cellular level perform better. We're talking quicker muscle recovery and stronger collagen for a healthier coat and bones. It can help increase focus, help regulate the gut, so many different things. And you can actually use it in combination with Equinity Ultimate OEC. That's a liquid supplement 
that has a flaxseed based omega-3 oil, natural vitamin E, colloidal silver, and other ingredients that are there specifically to help your horse from the cellular level. It helps support cardiovascular health, joint health, healthier skin and coat, gastric health, and can help increase immune function. We are so grateful for Equinity for bringing us this episode today. And if you want more information about their products, you've got to check out teamequinity.com. That's teamequinity.com to check out Equinity Horse XL and Equinity Ultimate OEC. That's hilarious. Um, So is it just you guys out there training every day? Do you have a lot of people in and out or like you guys just all in? Um, it's pretty much just us every day. We'll have we'll have some people in and out, but for the most part, just Haven and I. And um, we kind of have it set up where we have a chute on each side of our arena so we can rope at the same time. So most times we're running a calf down the arena at the same time. It's kind of craziness, but um, it's a lot faster and a lot more efficient. And we can watch each other and stuff still. And we bounce a lot of ideas off each other. And there's lots of times where we'll switch horses right then and there in the arena and I'll run some on his and he'll run some on mine. And I think that's been probably the best thing for the horses because Haven's so good at what he does in the field with the horses and he just gets them so good out there. And I feel like my strength is more so just in the box and scoring and just getting them, getting them scoring really good. So when we put that together, I feel like it's been working really good and um, the horses have been doing really good with it. Yeah, I feel like you guys are both kind of on heaters lately. So I was going to ask, but that might be it. Like, is it just that? Is it just constantly being like in the middle of all that? Or or is there something else to it, like mentally or something that you guys have been working on? I think the main thing is that every run, no matter if we're on a young horse, if we're at a trot tracking a calf down the arena, Um, I preach it in the clinics too, is it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're always over the front. You always are swinging aggressively. You know, even if you're trying to get your horse to back off on a slow cap, the best way to get them to do that is just stay over the front, keep swinging and stay aggressive. So no matter what we're on, what we're doing, we're always, it's always the same thing for us. And if, if one of us does back off or get lazy or start swinging soft, then you know, you'll hear it from Haven yelling at me down the arena to get over the front or to get up and I'll, I'll do the same thing for him or he'll say, Hey, put your hand down. If we're trying to back a horse off with our hand instead of our swing. And, um, lately, you know, we've been kind of getting after each other, getting ready for San Antonio. If I throw kind of a garbage loop or something, or if he throws a garbage loop, we'll make comments and be like, Hey, like get the nick on this next one, quit throwing a crappy loop, kind of get after each other a little bit and hold each other accountable. So it's, it's nice and it's good to not get caught in training mode. You know, even when you're doing slow stuff, it's super important to stay aggressive and have a sharp neck shot no matter what. So what does the schedule look like from here? Are you guys planning on seeing how the winter rodeos go before you set up your summer plans or are you, do you kind of have that rodeo fraternity balance figured out already? We're definitely trying to see how the winter rodeos go before we do summer plans. But um, we already have the fraternity schedules set aside, and we're definitely going to be going to those again. And uh, I feel like the fraternity horses definitely have priority at the house over anything else because we both just love it so much and training them and showing them. And I think the fraternities are really special to us, too, because we do spend so much time 
I mean, we spend so much time washing horses, grooming horses, and then just all the fine details. And we have, we spend a lot of money feeding them and making sure they look good all the time. So I think that we both love going to the shows and, you know, showing that aspect of it. Whereas the rodeos, you know, it can look however it wants to look. You can ride whatever you want to ride. You know, horse can hit their front end, do whatever, and you can still win a check and you're happy headed home with a smile on your face whereas the thing that we're both most passionate about is our horses so we love we love that part of it a lot more and so just looking at like the industry going forward because I feel like you guys are a great representative having and I keep referring to you in Haven and I'm interviewing you I'm sorry but like you have a great perspective being in the rodeo side and the fraternity side do you see breakaway ropers kind of flocking more toward that fraternity route and what are some reasons, if so, yes or no? Um, I honestly, I think I see breakaway ropers going towards whatever is um, is good for breakaway ropers. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly the money situation, I guess, is where, where the girls are going to go. Most of them are trying to make a living with the rope. So, And a lot of them are super handy. So if you tell them, hey, you need to have a three-year-old that has to be their first jackpot and you have to show them and it's based on time. They're going to go get a three-year-old. They're going to make it and they're going to show it and they're going to win money. And if you tell them, Hey, it doesn't matter what you ride. This jackpot has a bunch of money at it. They're going to show up on their good horse and try and win money. So, um, I think the, the talent in the breakaway world is just unbelievable right now. And there's so many talented girls, horsemanship wise, roping wise. So I think wherever they add the money, that's, that's where they're going to be. Gotcha. And for anybody that's kind of intimidated by that fraternity realm, what are some tips that you would give them to either get started in it or get into it? Is there anything with incentives and things that you're seeing? You know, uh, I think the main thing is just, I mean, we, we have to tell ourselves it too, is just relax and it, it's going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> and we sometimes pick our horses apart and think that they're a lot worse than they are. And then, you know, you step back or somebody else gets on the horse, someone watches the horse and they're like, Hey, that's a really nice horse. Um, it's, it's hard not to beat yourself down or to, um, (laughs) get upset over it. And, you know, we always pick ourselves apart. It's natural, but, uh, I think that, I think that there's no way that you can go wrong if you just get out there and try your best. Wasn't the, was it at the smarty young pro that, you gave like a little mini speech about how you used to beat yourself up so much in competition. And then you realized that nobody cared. Yeah. I think, I think that's the main thing that everybody kind of has to figure out is that nobody really does care at the end of the day, they might talk about it on their drive home. And then all of a sudden the next day, everybody's on to the next thing. So, and you know, everybody's trying to go for the same thing and everybody's worried about themselves. So uh, you think a lot more people are watching you and critiquing you than actually are. And that might sound bad, but nobody really gives a crap what you're doing at the end of the day. Oh, I loved that when I heard you say that. I was like, that is so it makes so much sense. Like, I can't remember everybody that messed up at the last rodeo I went to. Yeah, literally nobody cares. Awesome. Well, so Shelby, I have to ask, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I think the best piece of advice I've ever been given was from my dad when he told me just every day growing up, once you step foot on your horse, you're, you're practicing for them and it's about them. It's not about you. And I think that's shaped who I am. And I think that I've taken that with me and I've used it every single day. And there's never been a time where I steal a run out of my horse or, you know, uh, 
make extra runs that they don't need when they did great on the last one just because I think I need more runs. I, I always go to the dummy for myself. So I think it's really important um, if you want to have good horses and great horsemanship. I think it's important to always do what they need first and put what you need second. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Shelby. I know you guys are getting close to Houston, and I will let you get down there and get ready, and hopefully I'll be talking again to you soon. All right. Well, thank you. I'm telling you guys, my favorite part of this interview with Shelby was bringing back up her comment that nobody cares. That was seriously one of the most comforting speeches I have heard. It's on our TikTok if you guys want to go check it out at Breakaway Roping Journal. And gosh, it's just such a mic drop moment about focusing on your own performance, doing your own thing, and blazing your own path in the sport of breakaway roping. So I want to thank Shelby again for a wonderful interview and giving us some insight into her training program. If you guys want more information, Shelby's full article about when she uses a tie down and when she does not is on breakawayropingjournal.com and we also have full results from San Antonio. Next episode coming up is going to be a recap of the Roping Fraternities of America which Shelby and Haven were at and actually Haven took home over a hundred thousand dollars that week on fraternity and derby horses. So super exciting episodes coming up. We're going to have Emily Charlesworth who won a hundred and ten thousand dollars that week in Abilene and she's only 17 years old, and you guys are just gonna love her interview and how wholesome this kid is. Make sure to check out teamequinity.com for more information on Equinity products, and make sure you follow them on social and thank them for being a part of the Breakaway Breakdown. Until next time, thank you guys so much, and have a great week if you're on the road or wherever you may be.